Well, I want to welcome you to today's episode. Today is an incredibly important discussion. We are going to be talking about mutuality. What is mutuality? And, you know, there's a lot of conflict right now going on as it relates to women's issues, gender roles, and so forth like that in the churches. And I think for a lot of people, they're just trying to figure out uh, what God is calling them to. And one of the things you guys know about me is you guys know I work in a both and. In other words, if I cover one side of an issue, I am going to cover the other. And so today we're going to be talking about mutuality with Steve and Lisa Johnson. I'm really excited about the conversation with them in particular because I, I'm really excited about our friendship, but also the way that they articulate themselves. They are tremendously gifted communicators. And I think one of the things that I really want to encourage us to remember as we wade through these turbulent headwinds is we have to remember to remain dignified. We have to remain classy. And that's one of the things I'm just so excited about in many ways is to model what does healthy conversation look like. And I, I almost to some degree feel like in our culture, we're losing touch, even in the church, with how to have healthy dialogue. And um, if, if you're expecting for us in this interview, I want to make this very clear. If you're expecting in this interview for us to trash people, belittle people, talk down about people, you're going to be incredibly disappointed. Um, we have been very thorough in terms of just being respectful, making sure that we're above reproach. And so I, I think it's really important that if we are going to set the tone of being respectful, I hope that in the comment section that we have people who also set the tone there as well. I also want to say that this is a very sensitive situation, as I understand uh, the situation in the Northwest churches. I want you to know in this interview, we are not going to be touching that. Um, I do not believe this is the right, that's the right space, um, that this is the right space for that conversation. I will be having a conversation with them about that and other things in the off the record uh, series that I have going on uh, that is on my Patreon page. And off the record is where I get a chance to have uh, a little bit more of the intimate conversation, the dialogue with things as it relates to the controversial issues, as it relates to people's personal perspectives and so forth and their journey. I think that in, in, in many ways, that's, that's a better place to have uh, some of the conversations that some of you are wondering about. So if you are interested in that off the record converse, conversation, my Patreon community information is in the description below. And I'm, I hope that you find it useful. Uh, without further ado, Lisa and Steve, welcome to the channel. Well, hi, Kyle. Hello, Kyle. It's wonderful to be here with you tonight. Yes. And, and I just, I want to say the audience doesn't know this, but we have, it's been months. I want to say we kind of started our friendship back in April, but uh, I have really enjoyed getting to know you all. Um, you guys have been a wealth of wisdom. You guys are like an archive of data and history and, and wisdom and so forth like that. It's been really good to build a friendship with you guys. We really enjoyed the talks. I know I've kind of come in on you and Steve's talk several times. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I think Kyle, that's the highlight. Kyle and I have been in a, a really good talk, and he'll say, Is that Lisa? And he'll stop talking to me and, and talk to you. But, <laughs> but that's typical. That's smart. I, that's it's fine. been wonderful. It has been great to get to know you. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, you guys are very well known. Uh, so I want to just briefly have you guys touch on your conversion and then why you guys went into the ministry and a little bit about your ministry experience. 
you want to go first? I can. I, um, Kyle, Steve and I are what we used to call lifers. We're kingdom kids. And so um, we grew up in the traditional churches of Christ. So um, I grew up with the Bible, loving the Bible, knowing that, you know, I wanted to follow the Bible. I got baptized when I was nine years old because I wanted to be a nun, but I couldn't be a nun. So I decided I wanted to be a missionary because women could be missionaries in our church. And um, but anyway, but then in my teen years, I was very, very wild, crazy. A lot of people have heard some of my stories. And then uh, 16 days before I turned 19, I was baptized as a disciple. And um, everything in my life changed. Um, now, it was a hard first year, <laughs> but, but things really, really changed. And um, I, I think that, you know, I was in college at the time and I wanted to, with the goal of finishing, I was in uh, criminal justice. And I was, uh, the goal was to go to law school um, after yeah. my undergrad. And um, I never did that. I, uh, when I got baptized, all I ever wanted to do was be in the ministry. I, I just wanted to, I felt more like uh, it was a calling for me. And I know we don't use that word a lot in our fellowship of churches, but in my case, it's honestly how I always felt. I felt like this is just, what God wanted me to do. And so, um, so I always have. I, anybody that knows me knows I don't have many hobbies or whatever. Um, it's Bible and church and family or whatever. So um, anyway, so yes, I decided to go in the ministry and it's been my passion all my life since then. Well, Besides Jesus, this has been my passion all my life. I, I've, I've told my story a few different places, and it will soon be a major Broadway musical. But uh, it, I knew ever since I was a little bitty kid that I was going to be a preacher. Now, I never knew I was going to be just a preacher or exactly what that meant. But my, my entire life, pretty much, I knew that I would go into the ministry. And uh, when I was uh, young and in college, I went to live in Trinidad with a, you know, it's, words have changed over the years or the, or the, uh, the image or idea that goes along with a lot of words has changed. But I went to live with a missionary and uh, his name is Bob Brown and uh, he was a huge influence on my life. And uh, he eventually decided to go to Venezuela when I met Lisa and we got married, we were going to go to Venezuela to work with the church down there. But things, things changed, doors opened, and we ended up going to Boston uh, with Kip to start the ministry up there. We, we, were, we were later than everybody else. There was a group that met, you know, in uh, the end of May, June of 1979. Uh, we took a visit up there in July, and we moved there at the end of August. And so my, my ministry story is, is, it goes back, it starts when I'm eight years old, but was always rooted in the restoration movement in the churches of Christ. And uh, uh, so I, I don't know, I, I don't know how much, there, there's, there's, hours we, there's hours we could oh, yeah. about that. But, but where, it plays in, where it plays into what I think you want to talk about 
tonight in particular is uh, I, I grew up never questioning patriarchy or never even, I mean, if I ever heard the word patriarchy, it was almost always associated with the Bible. It was the patriarchal age, the mosaical age, and the Christian age. And it was uh, from the patriarchal age that we got our earliest teachings about, you know, what God wanted man to do. So the, the, the word was always a biblical word and was never a negative word in my, in my mind or life. Uh, and, you know, until about a decade ago that I started looking at it from a different point of view and, and started reading the Bible in a different point of view. But anyway, when, when you say, you know, his, history, history in the ministry, it's, it's you know, I'm, I'm getting up there in years and, and I've been a preacher ever since. I was, I was the little boy church. I was a little church boy. I was a little kid preacher, you know, and uh, had my own congregation. Honestly, I mean, I preached every week for a little church in Missouri, uh, starting at age 16. As soon as I got a driver's license, I was driving. I was driving an hour and a half, two, three times a week to a little place in Missouri preaching. I want to ask you guys now, as we start to transition into the topic of mutuality, um, I, I think it's important that we talk about this through the lens or through the story of, of journey. I think sometimes people, um, they, they want theological points and counterpoints, and that's how they, they conceive of this. But even when I look at scripture, oftentimes uh, we have to be connected with the story. I had John Mark Hicks on recently, and he talked about story versus blueprint. And I just want to give you guys a moment to give you guys plenty of time to just take us through your journey, right? It's a, it's a journey, and, and the journey doesn't mean we've arrived, <laughs> Right? We're on a journey. We're, we're in the process. And so this has been a journey for, for both of you. Well, I, I want to sit back. I, was, I want you to talk more, please. But if I could set it up before you, because I got an idea where you're going to start. But if I, could, if I could back up just a, a little bit, because I know of a number of people that are, that are listening. We, we, we have had a journey that a lot of people, I think, that listen to you have shared with us for 40 years. Uh, they just celebrated the 40-year anniversary of the planting of the church in London. That, mm. came, that came three years after a bunch of us moved to, to Boston in 1979. Next year will be the 40th anniversary of the planting of the church in New York City, uh, which uh, Lisa and I were a little part of. And uh, <laughs> a little uh, so, uh, there's a lot of people that have been with us or on the same journey or co fellow, <laughs> fellow travelers in this party. Mm -hmm. And uh, for us, life, life took a big change in 2003, as it did for many people. And uh, ultimately, you know, we went to Savannah, Georgia for a little while, but, uh, but ended up being recruited to come to Portland, Oregon uh, when Kip was still here. And a lot of people get a little bit a bit confused about when we came out here and, and why we came out here. But at that time, there was still an effort to try to pull a lot of the the band together, the old ICLC uh, group together. And it wouldn't be until later that uh, that Kip started another congregation in Portland, and uh, and started. He's he's got his own fellowship. He's got he's got his his own group and. We haven't spoken since 2008, it's been a long time. But I wanted to say that to say it was on the heels of that, 
Uh, right after that, that we found out that Lisa has a life-threatening disease, a type of lymphoma, for which there still is no cure. And uh, but we knew a doctor who had a protocol for it that she's been on for 12 years. She was supposed to be dead eight years ago. I had other plans, but she just keeps hanging out, you know. And, and uh, she's long. She's she's lived way past her shelf life. Uh, but uh, I wanted to say that to say just that. Um, where, where the mutuality story, the mutuality story starts for us way back, uh, maybe even before 40 years ago, but over, I hope we, I'm not sure what all will come out in the course of an hour, but, uh, over the years that many of us were traveling together, uh, we often thought that we were very progressive and very different from the churches we grew up in regards to what women, women could do, should do. Uh, what a what a woman disciple ought to be, and so uh, a lot of the things that we'll talk about in, in mutuality, it seems like it just happened, or happened just a few years ago. This this has been a, a long journey, but the, a lot of the the studying and and the one of the big changes of mind came about the time you found out you were sick, right? Yeah. So yeah, I'll be quiet. Uh, no, no, no. We can go back and forth some. I um, I love. Um, this being able to do this, this is great to be able to do this. Um, I think that for me, this story starts with as a disciple, I think that I think in terms of a disciple as a learner, and a disciple is someone that um, feels like questioning is healthy. In the old days, we were all about that, like in the beginning days. We were all about, you know, studying everything out and figuring out what you believe. And we were all excited when we figured out something new, something different. We were checking. You know, our big thing, Kyle, back then is just so vivid to me. We always had truth or tradition. Like that was mm. the big question. Something would come up and we were like, wait a minute, is that truth or is it tradition? Now, I know that truth isn't something you can bottle quite like that, but that was what we would ask because we were trying to question all the traditions we had grown, grown up with. And so there was this constant idea of learning and growing and that that's what a disciple was. And so that is how I think in a lot of ways we've lived our lives and that we have, you know, not with we have the truth, we have it all figured out, but more like it's con we're constantly figuring more and more out. And that that's so much, so much joy in that. That's great. And so I think that, you know, even people would always ask, the only bad question was, what does your church teach? Like that was the thing. If somebody said, what does your church teach? We'd be like, wait a minute. It doesn't matter what our church teaches. Church is just a bunch of people. What matters is what the Bible teaches, what God wants. What... And so there was this sense of it wasn't about us. It was about what the Bible teaches when we were looking to see what to do next or what to do about an issue. So I think that to me that really makes a difference because I never questioned this. I mean, I, I, I did ask myself at times, why does God want women to be like the assistant, the co-pilot instead of the pilot? I did ask and I would pray to him and try to figure out that. I remember back maybe 30 years ago trying to figure that out, but I never questioned if that was the fact. 
Like I never, for some reason, it never occurred to me to question what I had been taught my entire life about the women's role. And so I was very settled. Like I, it wasn't an issue. It was more, how do I convince people? How can I teach it? How can I really um, help people get it? And I think that to me, you know, I've always believed that, you know, that scripture, teachers are judged more strictly. So I've been so careful in my life trying to make sure that the things that I taught, I believed it was what was right and true. Now you can't always be right. And you definitely can't be right if you're trying to always keep learning. Like the, the, the last thing you believed is not necessarily what you believe now about something. So there's growth. But, I, but the idea of being a Berean was really important to me. And Steve and I, I think it really started for me, when I go back in my mind, it started to a time in Boston when there was this decision being made um, it was like this new thing. We were going to plant church. We'd gotten in a room and divided up the world. I know how arrogant and crazy that sounds, but we got in a room and divided up the world like we were going to plant churches. And in our minds, um, it was like churches that were discipling churches in these cities. And so we were, you know, that was the, the plan, the idea. And then it came up that two by two is the way it should be done. It was two men that should go out together. Everybody should have a partner. And so I remember, you know, when that came up, Steve went and told the guys, oh, no, Lisa is my partner. She's always been my partner. She always will be my partner. I'm going to New York, and I'm going with Lisa as my partner. And they didn't like that. I mean, they pushed back. They were like, no, that's not really um, good. You need another guy. He was like, no, this is the way it is. And, um, and back then, you know, that, that flew, you know, he was like, they were like, okay, okay, it's gonna be Lisa. At the time, I thought, oh, well, that's so nice that he said that. In my mind, I never knew I would be talking about it 30, 40 years later, like that it was a big issue, a big thing. So, so anyway, I think it started then, and we went to New York as partners, and as things progressed, actually, um, you know, I was never appointed a women's ministry leader, not like officially, because I was married. And married women weren't supposed to be women's ministry leaders back then. And mm. so Steve, when he had the bulletin printed up, he had women's ministry leader Lisa Johnson put on the bulletin. So, and, I was, and he goes, I have a surprise. And I was like, oh, whatever. Like, it did, you know, it was the kind of thing that back then those things really, we didn't think about that much. Um, but then we started baptizing people, the ministry started growing, and the women were, we were baptizing a lot of people, and it got to be really inconvenient for women to not be able to baptize people. And we had never thought of a women, woman baptizing somebody, like nowhere in the movement at that time. Nobody, it had never occurred to anybody to get a woman to baptize someone. And I don't know why it hadn't, but it just had never come up. And now it was so impractical because women were baptized, you know, having to call a brother that they didn't know to come into an apartment building and baptize somebody in a bathtub at midnight because this woman really wanted to get baptized. So it got very uncomfortable and awkward and we rethought it and we were like wait a minute the bible says 
clearly to, you know, go make disciples and baptize them. Okay, well, if the women are going to make the disciples, shouldn't they baptize them? And so we started telling women, just go ahead, baptize people. And um, when they're ready, you know, whatever, just baptize them. And then that became sort of the way we did it. And it all caught on very quickly in New York. And we even baptized them on Sundays, like on Sundays on stage. We would, you know, the women that had studied with somebody, instead of calling a guy that the woman didn't know that well and hadn't studied with them, be like baptizer. And um, so as, the, as news got out that that was happening, we didn't do it in a corner. We didn't hide it or anything. It was just something where everything was moving quickly and we were just doing the best we could. But it became an issue. And we had to have meetings about it and different churches were like, wait a minute. And, and people were interested and excited. I don't remember anybody being mad or, accept, uh, or upset except a couple of guys. that They will remain nameless. But um, <laughs> that really, really didn't like it. And um, they didn't think women should do things that were like that. Like that, what, how would you say that? That important. Uh, you just said it. <laughs> No, it, it, it caused it caused a, a momentary uh, discussion, but uh, but people quickly worked through it. Yeah, yeah, and probably people that. But I think the point. I think Lisa's going back there. I think I, I think the point is there were there were a number of times, as as we rambled along, that something would come up and the truth or tradition question would get asked, and. We couldn't find a reason. I, I went to my dad. You know, my dad was an old Church of Christ preacher, and he's my dad. And and we didn't have a lot of gray heads, but we were really young. I mean, I was 28 years old uh, when we started the church in New York. And the story Lisa's telling, we were still pretty sure we were still in the Unitarian Church building. This is this is around 1984, 1985 that we started uh, uh, having women baptize women. Now let, let's be let's be clear. It was it was women to women. We we were strong proponents of women leading the women's ministry, and men lead everybody. But hmm. but uh, it would be unfair if 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 I didn't take the people who were there down memory lane, or educate people who weren't there. We we most of us preachers, the leaders, evangelists, male, male dudes that were leading churches deferred to women 100% when it came to their ministry. It was you run the women's ministry. Now, there were times that that was, I mean, Lisa and I were talking about that. I think we talked about that with you earlier today. There were, there were times that that was kind of hard, right? I mean, that just, just being in the position of making the decision, you were, you were so unaccustomed to it. Well, yeah, because the way we yeah. did the church. Women were not used to making like the call, the final call mm. on things. And so it was something that took uh, getting used to and training women to be willing. This is, imp this, I'm sorry to interrupt. This is important to me because, wait, did I, were you on a, on no, no, a no, 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 no. I was no. just going to say, this is important because one of the things that made it, that makes it hard for, for me, the picture has, the way I describe it, this picture of how we viewed men and women in the church. I, I, one, I don't like calling it the women's issue. 
that that just it's it to me this this is an issue of whether or not you believe in gift-based leadership or gender-based leadership and to call it the women's issue is once again to take sort of a male-dominated view where this is just the women getting upset or this is just the issue with the women. To me, this is a relationship issue that affects every disciple one way or another. And so for me, uh, in, in my early years, I never questioned patriarchy. I mean, it was, and, and I was I was like any little Jewish boy. I thank God that I wasn't born a woman or a dog. You know, I love being a man. And, and it's, it's great to be a man. And one of the great things about being a man is I get to look at her, you know, this is wonderful, this is great. But as I got older, uh, and I think it was before I had daughters, but certainly once I had daughters, the picture was crooked to me. It was a lot of scriptures and things that we taught seemed, seemed off. It's, it seemed uh, a lot of the couples that we would work with and talk to and talk about the, the men have an automatic role to be the leader uh, in, in every situation. There, there was something that seemed off. It didn't seem like what I saw that was really working with couples. And so backing up to, the, I, I'm getting ahead in the story, but it, it, talking about women baptizing women, I, I, one of the things I think that made that took so long for got for me or guys like me to even think about women preaching or women doing a lot of the other things that I think women can do now is I already thought in our little micro in our world, which was the only world there was in my mind and I, in, in our world, women already were, had so many more rights and responsibilities, and they had an awesome job and a big job already just to work with women. And that kind of got in the way of, of me, in younger years, thinking thinking more broadly or even bigger about this subject, if if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I think that Steve, is, you had especially some stuff about um, the like gift base back then. When I think about it, and it was because of Vivian. Absolutely. Vivian yeah. Haynes, yeah. Vivian yes. Rivera. She was the first World Sector Administrator, hmm. um, and so. And then later, every world sector ended up needing to get a, you know, a Vivian, we called it. But later on, like, there was a lot of pressure for you to get rid of Vivian because they want, they said retreats would be easier and all this kind of stuff. They wanted it to be, Steve would come home and say, they wanted an old boys club, sort of. And Vivian was the woman in the group. <laughs> now, Vivian's probably, you know, more qualified or as qualified as anyone. She used to work in the White House, well, whatever. If, if but, yeah, but if you're going to start there, we have to, we have to, I would have never had the idea for Vivian if it hadn't been for Pat Gimple. Perhaps the most impressive human being I ever knew in my life was Pat. And Pat was, whatever room she sat in, she was usually the smartest person there. And if you, if you know Pat, she's outspoken, but she's a team player. She's, she's just, I mean, Pat is awesome. I, I, to, to me, Pat has just been one of my favorite people. And, and I always knew that Lisa was more like Pat than any of the other women that I knew. And so it was, it was really watching Pat work with, with all of us. Uh, I mean, Kip especially there in Boston in the early years. And then as we were all growing out, watching Pat be, be Pat. And it was Bob and Pat. Pat wasn't 
I mean, it, it, there, there probably wouldn't have been a Pat if there wasn't a Bob. Bob is one of the uh, most solid, uh, wicked, as we say in Boston, wicked smart guys <laughs> that there is. Uh, but with Pat, it wasn't just personality. There was, there was a genius and a leadership and a, and a vision quality that I think is just a gift, a gift from God. I'd never been around women like Pat before. And I and I thought and think that it's just wonderful. And I realized I married a woman a lot like that. So consequently, when we got into the situation that we needed a real administrator, I mean, things were going huge in New York. And uh, I, I I knew I was going to get I, get in trouble even if I was innocent. I knew someone's get, there. There's just there was a <laughs> lot of money. There was a lot of there was a lot of stuff going on, and uh, uh, and it was actually Pat had met Vivian, and Pat was the one that told me you need to get Vivian. I said, well, Vivian's on the team down to San Paulo, you know, and I had to I had to talk Mike into letting me have Vivian. I had to talk Vivian into coming up. I had, but uh, but if there hadn't been a Pat Gimple, there wouldn't have been a, a Vivian. Uh, I, I would say that I, there, there wouldn't have been a Steve with a mindset that Lisa's my partner. I mean, I, I saw all, all of that. In past. So, so that's a perfect example, though, of when the picture started hanging crooked on the wall. A lot of the ways we taught scriptures about the way men and women are, and men are supposed to always lead. I mean, this, we, we, can, we can quote scriptures all night long, but we, we made up, we, we thought it was Bible. But we made up a theme that leadership is the most important thing to God and men are the most important leaders. We, we believe that. We taught it. We practiced it. Women are the second most important leaders, but that's just with women. But then I would see over and over women that if I didn't shut up, I might go to jail. These are smart women that need to, and I don't just mean in administration. I, I mean, and I don't just mean in benevolence or, or hope or good things. I mean people that understood ministry and the Bible uh, better than most of the men in the room. So here's, here's, here's my, uh, my question, and, and I'm going to ask Lisa this. When did you really start to encounter you know sort of that deep internal conflict and that that part of you even that maybe there was grief maybe there was a mourning maybe there was guilt maybe you felt like you taught the wrong thing maybe you had a, a crisis i don't know i but i'm wondering about that part of the journey okay um, that's actually where I was going next. So that's, that's good. <laughs> I, I, I really, um, Kyle, it's like, I'm sure there was a process though, but it's felt like it was overnight. Um, I, I got sick I was diagnosed and it kind of, I didn't stop going to church or anything, but it was like, I didn't have the same stamina I had always had. And so it kind of sat me down and um, for a couple of years, like I just didn't have the energy. And, um, and I went on a protocol that took a lot of time at home. And so I started really praying and begging God to be useful and for him to show me how to be really useful. And um, 
I never dreamed this topic would come up, to be honest. Like I said, it was just solved in my mind. And, um, and yet it did. It's like it came up, but it was because of several things that happened. I won't go into them, but it ended up, that it, it had to do with the scriptures on slavery, okay? Hmm. And there was a, a way that I started looking at some things and studying, and I started saying, oh, no. Oh, no, I think that I have misunderstood this. And so then I started digging and studying and trying to figure out. And more and more, this realization hit me that, and I know that I, I know that people don't like it when I say, you know, what I was teaching was wrong, but honestly, in my heart, that's exactly what happened. I felt like I have been teaching the wrong thing. Now, the reason I had such feeling, I think, about this is that I feel responsible for the teaching of women's role in the ICOC, in the, in the church out there, because it was just Pat and Elena and me that were teaching back then, and we were teaching this, the women's role. And this is what, and, and I believed it very strongly. And, um, and not long after, you know, Gloria and Al came from a, a congregation across town, and we, but then, but it was like, we, we ended up, this was my thing. Like, I taught the women's role. I taught complementarianism or whatever. Like I taught that, you know, we need to be submissive to our husbands and this is how that looks and let, you know, let's help you do that. And, and we need, and women have a very special, wonderful place in life, but it's under the authority of men, under the leadership of men. So I was a major proponent in teaching all of that and digging through those scriptures to, to defend that. And um, I went to New York and taught all these people that, I mean, all these women that, and that was no small issue um, with those women that were CEOs that were, you know, from Wall Street. And like for them to understand that in the church, you can lead a group and use all your leadership ability as long as there's no men in that group. And it's like, oh, and you're married? Well, that means you need to learn how to uh, submit to your husband and what I meant by that. And so these were battles that I, that I taught and fought and, and worked out with deep conviction, um, believing this was God's plan, God's way. And so, Kyle, when it hit me that I had, I believe, that I had changed my mind, that I made, that I realized what I was teaching wasn't correct. It took me on a, a journey of emotion. I felt so much guilt, so much. Um, I mean, I, I was overwhelmed in a lot of ways with just this mourning and also just a sadness and, um, and I wanted to be absolutely careful, absolutely sure. Like I had to study and I studied out each passage, each article, like, I mean, each detail, you know, like each, uh, argument against that. It's like, cause I knew all the arguments I had been arguing this for years. So I had to convince my, I was went through it and I was like, surely, surely I wasn't wrong about this. 
How could I have taught this so passionately for so many years until the church was thousands in New York? What? And so it was this feeling of um, sadness and also just a, a fear a little bit, I think. And But then as I studied deep more and more, I just went on this journey of studying, digging out. I started with the uh, teachers from the traditional churches of Christ. And um, I, you know, the uh, Carol Osborne and Thomas Robinson and the different ones. And, and there's more now that I've found that are amazing, but these were some older, older. And, uh, and they were teaching absolutely they were teaching mutuality they were they were mm. knocking down all the arguments that i had been taught as a kid growing up and that i had taught and so in that i just kept begging god it was a lot of prayers a lot of a lot of tears uh begging god for him to lead me to what's true and right because i believe in the bible and i believe i don't believe we should ever like go by what's popular or what hmm. seems, you know, like um, in style or, oh, this would be easier. So let's get the women to, no, I, I don't believe that. I believe God is always right. And anything he says is true. And that, I mean, let's, you know, if his way is always best, we may not understand Absolutely. it, but his way is best and it works best. And I have a lot of conviction about that, a lot of feeling about that. And so to me, I was really, a, the fear came in as I was afraid that I would get my bias in there and I'd be like, wow, wouldn't that be great somehow to, to that, wow, that women really are equal, that mutuality is really God's way. And I didn't want my bias to, that, you know, as I went to mess me up. And so I just kept begging God for what was right, what was true. And then, of course, Steve and I would talk, and he had a different perspective, which was really helpful to me. And we would bounce it off one another. And we started studying it with, like, little groups here in Portland. And then on Wednesday night, I would do the lessons with the sisters and get them to, to tell me what they thought. And we, we began to just come to really deep convictions about this and seeing that, it's like, you know, Steve said, the whole world makes sense now. It's like it started falling into place. And as I went into Genesis, I had to start in Genesis, started there. And once I understood some things, uh, I mean, then the whole Old Testament made sense. And I could reread the stories, the story of Judah and Tamar makes so much more sense there now, Deborah and Barak. So, so anyway, it was a Bible study um, journey for me. It was through the Old Testament, then through the New Testament, understanding, seeing Jesus in a different way, and then Paul, and realizing how much of Paul I had misunderstood and so, um, and so I know, and I know that everybody doesn't agree with that, but that's where my journey was. That, that's how it was for me, is that realization. And I was overwhelmed with how clear it became to me, how, how amazing the revelations were, scripture after scripture after scripture. I'd be like, yeah, but there's no way that, and then it would all just fall into place. 
and the whole study series came together, bottom line. So, um, and then I knew that I just had to tell, I needed to tell everybody why I changed my mind. And I, I didn't know if anybody would agree or people would care or I, I you know, I, I, but I felt very convicted. I mean, the church had helped me so much, like even money for the cancer protocol and had really reached out and loved us so much and loved me. I felt very much like I owed it to everyone to explain what had happened in my life and how this was a Bible study journey. And so we started working and putting together a series of studies to try to explain it. So that's how that's pretty much the journey for me. Well, let me let me say something with that. Um, I understand for those of you who are kind of hoping that we were going to go through and, and break down mutuality and biblically and, and all of that. There's no way we would have time to do that. What I wanted to do today is I wanted to uh, not tell people what to think, but instead to give people something to think about. Um, there are YouTube videos that you guys have. John Mark Hicks has different things. Um, you know, Women Serving God. I mean, there are many different resources, and I will do my best to put resources in the description. Um, but that this is this is kind of getting into the journey of it, if, if, if that makes sense. The other thing I want to say is, that, again, I'm huge on both ends. So this week we're doing mutuality, and then the next week will be Ed and Debbie Anton, and they're going to be talking about the complementarian perspective. Um, and this, this kind of leads me into my next, my next question as it relates healthy dialogue with women and so forth. But let me ask you a question first, and I want to ask both of you this question. Do you believe that the perspective, the theological perspective of mutuality or being a mutualist versus being a complementarian is a salvation issue? Absolutely not. Absolutely. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> I, no I, 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 I shouldn't joke. Uh, not at but all. I would want, I, don't, I do want to say, sal- you tell me, you're in a profession. What do you think about that question, about salvation so, issue? Que- we, we use it's that. a minimizing question is what it is. And the reason why I ask it, so my Patreon, just for a moment, my Patreon community, I put this question out to my Patreon audience. Well over 80% of folks did not feel like it was a salvation issue. Some didn't know, some felt like it was. But what I actually had to do is put a follow-up post out. And I had to ask people, what about that question triggered them? And people were open about how that felt. That that sort of like so salvation issue is almost like saying it's a disputable matter. And people take that and it feels minimizing and it feels like it trivializes something yeah. that is very dear to them. So not- so I am very careful, but I ask it because it's it's a common term well, I like that is used with said. this subject. Forgive me for interrupting, but I, I like what you just said. If we could if we could talk about to me this is this is worthy of dispute for sure. This is something that is is worth fighting about. It's it's worth <laughs> arguing about, but it's because of of how my view of patriarchy and the damage patriarchy does to women and to men. Uh, my view of that. So, it, so to me, it's it's worth the dispute. I I wouldn't. 
to stick with your rules, I, I wouldn't call it a salvation issue, but I think we make, I think over the years we've made a lot of things salvation issues that aren't salvation mm -hmm. issues. Right. So just to be, just to be fair and, and full disclosure, God's grace in my mind covers a lot more, I think today than I would have thought 20, 30 years ago. And being someone that comes from a group where one of our our biggest problems was whether we all believed it or not, we acted like we were the only ones saved. And so when you're a group that has acted for 40 years like we're the only ones that are saved, and someone comes up with something outside the 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 Talmud that we've written, you know, the, the list of, of things that we've written, then, well, wait a second, are you saying... I mean, first of all, in this in this matter, I'm more likely to be willing to fellowship someone who disagrees with me than that person is willing to fellowship me. It, sure, it's that it's become that emotionally charged the thing, and and there's reasons for it that 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 I won't be critical of. But well, we, oh, sorry. no, no. Well, no. I was going to say that I was on the other side of this issue a whole lot longer in my life than I've been on this side of this issue. So to me, I wasn't like lost all those years I was teaching complementarian or whatever, patriarch. I don't believe I was lost. And I don't think people that are teaching complementarianism right now are lost. I, to me, right. To me, it, it, that's that's a, that's a whole that's a whole nother discussion that we need to throw even some of our cousins, if we won't call them brothers and sisters, we've got a lot of cousins in Christendom <laughs> that we're that we're starting to listen in fellowship, like Marty Solomon and others that you know years ago they'd have never had a platform you know on a stage with us, and uh, shame on us. But but the, let me let me not not digress. This chapter of our lives, uh, this this we we've, we you know we've we've talked about a lot tonight, but. But I, I would like to give somebody some, some factual dates. Uh, this is right, a factual date, number one. This is September 2022, right? Ten years ago. Fact. Fact. By this time in 2012, we were a year and a half into Lisa's cancer protocol. And we had already begun practicing in our little bitty Portland church. She was still teaching. She was still teaching on Wednesday nights, and she had started going through classes about about women. And yeah, it, I, I know. Okay. Yeah. What, no, what, what, you, no, we're going to argue about it. So let's argue. <laughs> <laughs> what? Well, what happened was, I never thought of it until after I was doing my protocol. So I'd been doing my protocol for a while, and then I, I thought about it. So that you're saying by September? I'm saying yeah. I'm saying by September of, because, and here's and here's how I know, because 2013, we had started letting women, and I say let, allowing women to do uh, one. We already had some Bible talk leaders that were women who had men in their groups, but. The, the men were really, really young or new disciples, and, the, and the, the woman was the senior partner. And so that was one of the first things that we had to sort of talk through and explain with, is this, is this okay? Yeah. Uh, before 2013 was over, it was very common for Lisa to speak without me hovering over her. 
Uh, the way I know this, 2014 is the year that we went to Singapore. And uh, we spent a month in Singapore in the summer. And, and during those years, 2010, 11, 12, 13, 14, for four years, I was flying over 100,000 miles a year raising money for Lisa's protocol. The money would go to the Portland church, and the Portland church would pay for the, the protocol that Lisa was on. And during those years, I just saw practices from one side. I, I, I saw churches and fellowships from one side of the world uh, to the other, and I saw how much we agreed and how much we disagreed on. It was very, very clear to me that if some people over here knew what people over here were doing, there, there, there'd be some, there, there might be some words, there might be some fights, but even with the internet, everybody was sort of just cruising along, you know, living, living and letting live. I would come home and Lisa had been studying, taking some deep dives into this stuff. And so I have the luxury, everywhere I go, I get to talk to different men and women, leaders, evangelists, elders, teachers, I know a number of the people who are officially teachers in the ICOC, and we talk into the wee hours uh, about this very subject, and I would tell them how my mind was changing and, and what I was, was thinking about this, and I mostly found agreement. It was mostly people saying that either they agreed or that at the very least they thought this is something that we needed to have some real honest, honest talks about. So. So anyway, I, I just want to put a clock on this. We, we have now reached nearly 10 years of something that, that we began practicing here. And, and let me say this, our congregation was, we had, we, we've never had, since, since, since I've been the lead evangelist, since Lisa and I, I would say we've been co-pastoring this church for years and years, we've never had more than 200 members in this congregation since we've been, been leading here. And so it's always been a small congregation. You could know virtually everybody. Since COVID, it's even smaller. Uh, but this has been a subject that for most of the members of the church, that there was no pushback on it. And most of my communication around the world with people, there, there was no pushback. In fact, up, in, up until two or three years ago, there was only one person that ever argued about it at all. Uh, and to give them credit, they, are, they argued with passion. They, they, I don't know that they ever said it was a salvation issue, but it was a fellowship issue for them from the start. But that wasn't typical of the input that I was getting. Uh, and I could drop names. These are teachers. These are people that you know that I, these are folks and, and elders and, and, and preachers. So, so it, it was uh, during this chapter of our life, what we what we had hoped for and believed and still think is, I, I don't know, I, th there was a goal, the, the, the response I would get over and over is, well, you guys can do whatever you want there in Portland and it'll be a good test case for all of us and we're going to always strive for unity over uniformity. That was, that was the response almost to a person, even, even from some of the people that didn't agree that much, they thought, well, at least, you know, we're going to always strive. As long as you're not sprinkling babies, you're probably going to be okay. Mm -hmm. And so uh, I just wanted to say to, to not muddy up the water from, you know, going all the way back from years and years of ministry. Yeah, Lisa and I have always thought that when you stumbled onto something new, you, you didn't, 
you didn't sort of wait till everybody got on board. You just did what you believed the Lord was calling you to do. And if it was right, it would usually prove out in time. And so we started letting women, we always go back to the women, baptizing women, not just cause it's women, but because that's sort of a perfect picture of how things happened in our fellowship. And as long as you were growing and doing well, people would usually see something like that and say, well, maybe that's one. And they'd start doing it too. It was, there, there was, there was a lot. I think, prag I think pragmatic pragmaticism is a double-edged sword. There you go. There you go. It, it, it surely is. Uh, let me, let me, let me, let me, let me ask Lisa this question before I ask you this question, Lisa, one of the things that Steve, as you were talking, I just want to honor is that this is not some sort of trendy, um, you know, thing that you guys are doing from your perspective. It, this is something you guys have developed over time. And yeah, things have shaken out and so forth. They're exploded, but, but you, and I, I, so I, I feel your um, perspective. I, I can really see it. Here's, here's what I would say. And then I want to ask Lisa a question. I think people, some people double down too quickly on a position. Now, right, wrong, or indifferent, when you double down before you have all the information, you get yourself into a pretty not good pickle because when you double down and you don't actually have you know a, a certain level of biblical literacy biblical literacy is being able to see the bible in its context in other words it's not just about what it says it's about what it is saying and so what i'm really hearing from you guys' perspective as well is that you know part of this journey is about developing uh, a different depth of biblical literacy and, and I just want to encourage all of us, listen, especially the fellows, you know, hey, um, I think sometimes as men, we think that if we have the answers, that makes us more manly. And so if you've been tempted to double down on a position and now you've got to pull out like real scriptures and you've got to defend your position and you can't, and now you're going to resort to emotional scholarship, that's going to be challenging. And so regardless of where we sit, again, I'm not here to tell people what to think. My goal is that people have to wrestle with everything they have with God's spirit. That's what I want. I want people to wrestle and develop biblical literacy. The issue in many ways is not the issue. It's the development of learning how to read the Bible in the story that it is told in. Anyway, um, this is a crucial time for women, Lisa, a very vital time. I do feel concerned. Here's what I feel concerned about. People are exhausted. We've been through a pandemic. We have North America, a ton of political stuff. This women's roles, I won't call it women's issues, women's roles in the church is a front burner issue. And you have women on both sides. And I've even noticed in my Patreon community that people have different perspectives. And what I'm noticing all over is people feel fearful about being judged for their perspective. A lot of fear around if, if, if people, because you really don't know what people are thinking until, until they feel safe. And so I really want to just kind of for a moment uh, have you talk to the women on both sides 
And how, how do women relate to one another in this? Let's say they have a different perspective or whatever. I, I just think it's very important that women, um, there is a level of dignity and respect and harmony there because I, I, I think it's already hard enough being a woman. Okay, I um, I think that I think that the sisters um, out there, I think that we need to be very supportive of one another, and um, I have been both of those on both of the mm. sides. Um, I have um, been on that patriarchal side, that complementarian side, and I've also been on this mutualist or mutuality side. And so I know that um, it's, it's really, we need to love each other and be patient with one another and help each other to figure out where we are. I do think that when we just are refused to listen um, or you know, even we need to have a voice, we need to use our voice, but also we need to listen to each other. Mm. And, and I think that, you know, mutuality is all about the, the idea that men and women can function in, in a way that is not hierarchical and everybody can use all of their gifts um, to better the kingdom and and it's the same with women and women it's like we're all different and we can use all of our gifts to enhance the kingdom no matter what we believe about this topic and I think that um, I think that when it comes across as something that you just have to do or have to know or have to believe then it's hard you, you I think that women have a harder time with this topic than men most of the time and I think the reason is because women, women in the church, women disciples. in the church, yeah. women in the church, disciples, uh, sisters. I think that we have a harder time with it because we came to believe that this was our place and we worked at it and we surrendered to God's te what we believed was God's teaching and his place and our, the way he wanted us to function in life. And we decided to to have this relationship with our husband where we accept his authority and his he's the leader and we work at obeying that and living that out in a beautiful way and we disciple sisters around us each other to do that and then we you know we train younger women and also you know as we study with the bible with people this is what we teach them and convince them and so after you've done a lifetime of this and then to find out, me, when I found out, wait a minute, I didn't, this wasn't right. This isn't what God actually wants. This isn't his teaching. Then I had to wrestle with that because this is hard to give up. This is hard. To, you know, men have not worked really, really hard necessarily um, at this role thing that we've been getting. It's true. We just did it. I mean, some of them, I think, have been put under a lot of pressure to lead when they weren't necessarily leaders uh, by nature and they didn't want to. And so that's been hard. And I think that's been really tough. 
but in general women have worked so hard at fulfilling what they thought was god's plan that i think it's challenging and i think that um we have to be given time to think through things and if i could just say anything to the women that are um in that way i always used to be that old way of believing and i you know I don't know how else to say a complementarian slash patriarchal that that I think that I would say just to relax and open your mind and see and pray see if there's something that maybe you haven't seen and um, I know that with me it came down to this idea it hit me one day you know faith only you know how we've got friends out there in the religious world they believe in faith only and they use a couple of scriptures that it's like you know uh, this idea of believe in your heart confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and you'll be saved and they're like okay you're saved by faith through great by grace through faith and so there's this sense that um, we look you know we hear that teaching and we think hmm okay you know the truth is that's important faith is important but what about all these scriptures that have to do with discipleship and lordship this this idea of repentance and baptism and there's all these other things that play into going from the darkness to the light and and maybe we need to look at a bigger picture this is what happened to me with this topic i realized that i had First Timothy 2, 11th and 12, and Ephesians 5, verse 22 and following. Like I had these certain passages and I was like, that's what's clear about the women's role. And now everything else in the Bible I read goes into that. It's, I have to see it through that lens. And I think that that's what the faith only, it's like we can just get so focused on that through this lens that Baptism, well, yeah, yeah, but, but this is what's clear. You're saved by faith. Does that make sense? Am I make, it's like I think... It, 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 it does. Okay. No, it, do, it does. It does. Again, biblical literacy. Yes. In other words, and, and it sounds like to me, like let's back up a couple of steps. Even though we're not touching... Uh, the exegetical, which is, uh, you know, exegesis means to lead out. Hermeneutic means to interpret or explain. Um, there's a science of interpretation, right? There's an art and a science. If people want to make an emotional claim or an appeal, um, they're going to have to back it up. And even though we're not getting into the text in this interview, you have podcasts, you have YouTube channels, you have all kinds of teaching that for those who are interested in going deeper... Um, they will go and do their research path. Um, but to your point, um, there are women on both sides. And I think that both, and this is something I'm really excited about. This is, you know, Deb Anton is, is functioning as a, as a teacher and so forth, is we really need to start getting more women um, as uh, Bible teachers. I am, I cannot tell you, you know, some of the, my favorite scholars are, are, are female theologians. And in the more women we can get, and it, it hasn't been encouraged, you know, some of my seminary classes, I, I see, you know, sisters and so forth, but we need women in the exegetical process. And then there's a brother and sisterhood that starts to, to happen there. Because here's the reason why I bring this up is this. I think 
there are people listening to you right now. And I think what's going through their mind is very simply that you are a false teacher. Now, some people base false teaching off of the inability of a teacher to teach, but some people base false teaching based off of taking what is true or whatever it is and just repurposing it and redesigning it. Now, again, that's why I had John Mark Hicks come onto my channel and help people to understand the patternistic theological procedures that we have when we, mm -hmm. when we do our hermeneutic and exegetical process. Now, the reason why I'm bringing this up um, is that some people are incredibly reliant on a patternistic blueprint uh, hermeneutic. And I, 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 guys, I need you to hear this in the audience. I am not saying complementarian or mutuality necessarily one or the other, but the path that you take to get there matters. Um, because for people who have very much, you know, this patternistic perspective, they run into problems when it comes into context later. Like you, 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 you have to understand how the text is trying to perform. <laughs> and, and sometimes we try to get the text to perform in ways that it's not. And my guess is Lisa, here's my guess. You started running into real issues when it came to how the text was performing across the board. In other words, it was kind of like cafeteria style. Mm -hmm. And there were these huge holes going back to Genesis, right? How do we read Genesis? So anyway, I say all that to say, you did not get to this perspective without a lot of healthy study. And, and could, I know you're talking to, can I interject something here? Please? Yeah. The, um, for, for anyone that thinks that we're false teachers, it, it, it's fair. We, we've been wrong before. I mean, we, we could argue that we've been false teachers and propagating and being complicit with the doctrine of patriarchy that, that maybe isn't by God's design. We, we, don't, we don't think it is. The, uh, there's, and we're far from the first, you know, the, uh, the denominational world, greater Christendom, this has been a subject that a lot of people uh, have been miles ahead on for over 100 years. And in our history, uh, again, to, to anyone that would be, you know, please, please dig into the things that we teach. I would, I would love that because in our restoration history, women used to preach all the time. There were a number of... Uh, the the whole the whole way we've treated women in in the last hundred and thirty years or so it's very political. There's a lot of things tied up into it. There are personalities uh, that are tied up into an agenda that intended to keep women home barefoot and pregnant in the kitchen. I mean that that was mm. that was that's that's I, I'm not I'm that's all true, but we've been wrong and and I don't uh, the I, I will doubt me quicker than most anyone would doubt me. I would want everyone to think about one thing. And it's the way I digest everything you just said, Kyle. This is what I boil it down to. We know what it's like to come to the Bible with preconceived ideas that may be wrong. We, that's, that's, that's our, that's ICOC Bible 101. If someone comes to the Bible with a preconceived notion, you can pray Jesus into your heart. We know 
the different direction that philosophy coming. We know the verses that will pop out to someone that thinks that way. And we know the verses they probably don't know. We know the verses that will, that will, that will stop them in their tracks and, and make them consider, do you not need to be baptized in water in the name of Jesus? Is that not part of the plan? For, I mean, we, we know that. I believe what happened to me, Lisa did a deep dive on it. I, I wanted to justify what we had been practicing at that time for over 30 years. We'd been, uh, we'd been, again, I use this word allow. It's a very misogynistic word to use, but it's very descriptive of who we've been for years. We as men allowed women to do certain things that if we're consistent with the scriptures, we were already in error. We'd allowed them to do stuff. If you're going to take... First Timothy 2 and interpret it the way that you want to interpret it, then you've already screwed up if you've let women share during communion, the, the way you're reading it. Now, I would argue if I had grown up being taught First Timothy 2, the exact way I'd been taught Acts 2.38, from the time I was a baby, I was taught baptizo was a Greek word that was anglicized and it meant to dip, pour, or immerse, or to plunge. And I knew how to read Acts 2.38 with someone that believed in sprinkling and tear them apart because that's not what the verse meant because I had a lifetime of immersion in that one Greek word. If we'd done 1 Timothy 2 the same way with the word authentane and talked about the context of that passage, we might have a whole different way of teaching or looking at what, uh, I'm not sure if John Mark Hicks uses this lingo, but that's one of the clobber verses that people want to use. Yes, he calls it the wall. They want to, they want to say, this is, this is why you're a false teacher. <clears throat> I would say not on that case, maybe for something else, but, but not on that one. I've got you beat because we've not, we've not, we came to the Bible with our minds already made up that there was an order in the universe that puts men on top just under God. All right. That's, that's where, that's where we are. And for me, the journey wasn't a deep dive on these debates that I had in college. This is stuff I studied in college and came out on the patriarchal side of it. But now as a guy with over 30 years of experience at that time and things not jiving with me, I went back to the Bible thinking if I read the Bible, with if I could come ignorant of the idea that men are supposed to be over women, if I just start in Genesis and go like that. And that's what I did. And I got a complete different, the Bible tells me, a, that's, what I, that's what I meant when I told Lisa, well, the world makes sense to me now. Because it doesn't make sense that if God doesn't have hierarchy in the Godhead, why would he allow hierarchy here on earth with mere mortals? Why in the world would my genitalia give me a right to have a certain position in, in a Bible talk, in a church, in anything. Why, why does gender? And, and, and if you come to the Bible believing that men are stronger, smarter, women are more emotional, if you come there believing it, you will see it. You'll see it over and over. The Bible completely supports patriarchy. And the reason why people are going to complementarianism or soft complementarianism is it is radical for a restoration movement person to say what John Mark Hicks bravely says. 
we've been wrong about this. This is something we've, we've been so consistent on how we've studied out baptism. We've been so consistent how we've studied out other things, but we came to the Bible with a preconceived notion about what, what a man's position in relationship to a woman is. And I don't know. I, I, what I really hear you saying is we have to be careful when we start playing copy and paste with the scriptures. Mm-hmm. And let me let me go back to uh, to Lisa for for the final question, and I want to get to off the record. Um, Lisa, one of the things I, I I know is that women are divided because we know that we live in a world, a fallen world, that marginalizes and abuses women. Uh, I work in my private practice. Uh, I work with uh, all women. I'm the only man. Um, and many of my, my clientele are, are women, many of them unchurched. Um, but I have firsthand daily experience with how this, women, how this world treats women. Um, and it's, it's, it's brutal. Um, and the church has an incredible opportunity. And the opportunity that the church has is to offer a contrast and to offer a living example of women thriving, not sidelined, women thriving, not marginalized, not treated less than the church. If, and, and I, I, and I think there are people who are complementarian who are saying, yeah, I know complementarian can give women dignity that the world can't. Um, but I, I really hear your perspective um, because it, in, in some ways, it almost feels like mutuality um, is probably going to, for some women, reconcile the discrepancy that they feel between what they can achieve professionally and then how they can function in the church. And I think, in, in, and I'm just going to say it, um, Although I'm, I'm, I don't want to say what my position is right now because I don't, I don't want to get into that right in this moment. But there is a dissonance between how women function in, in the world and how they function in the church. And mm-hmm. one of the things I know for sure is that the church cannot figure out how to be a better example. We are, we are not going to capture the next generation of women. And they are brilliant. The, the women coming up, and, and I'm not, no, like really, the next generation is brilliant and they're not going to put up with, you know, whether it's complementarian or mutual mutuality, they're not going to put up with a system that doesn't give them dignity and, and function. Mm-hmm. And so I'm wondering in your mind, how can the church be that contrast? How can the church be that refuge? Because I, I think that we, we're, we have a next generation crisis. So we got to figure this out, is what I'm saying. Yeah. Well, I think that the next generation, honestly, of men and women is brilliant. Uh, the, the hearts are amazing. The, the gifts are incredible. And um, I, I would, the only thing I can think of to say, Kyle, to be honest, is I think that unless we change the power structure the power balance between men and women, it will be hard for the women in that next generation to thrive. 
Hmm. I think that they will do okay, and the more they're allowed to do, the better. But I think it's very difficult to um, really develop your leadership skills or your confidence um, if you honestly have no final authority, if you have no final say-so. You know, it's one thing, it's like you can preach, that's great. And the truth is, I've been doing that for years and years, um, and, and even with mixed uh, audience, but it's different than if you're doing it under the authority of a man and he gave you the he gave you the authority to go do it he says it's okay and um, you know he's sort of standing behind you maybe not even physically but emotionally spiritually there's some but there's still this power balance and so it's like you can have in when you're at the table you you know about decision making you can have a voice but if your voice doesn't weigh quite as much as the man in charge's voice, then really I'm not sure that you'll ever actually be able to thrive. So I think that what God gives us, what I found in the scriptures is this beautiful plan that I had missed, it, this mutuality, this men and women in this beautiful relationship where they can, they can function and everybody use their gifts and talents for the good. And it, I think, and be partners. And so I think that that's all I can, I can think of is I want women to, I love women. I want them to do really, really well. But I think when there's a power imbalance, it's difficult. I think they can do better and better, but I'm not sure it will ever be until we're all just in this together and we're working together and that being a woman or a man is not the determining factor for whether you can be the lead evangelist or you can be the, the one in charge of a mission team or whatever. It's like the, it will never just be we're all in this, we're in the body, we're all children of God when there's a, an over-under structure. And um, I don't know if that answers your question. What I hear you saying is, and, and I, I have to agree, so I'm a marriage and family therapist and we, we get trained from the get-go to think system. In other words, system versus systematic. If you, if you think... Um, systematic versus systemic so you know systematic is thinking i can change one thing about the system and create change no you have to think systemically systemically is where you have change on every single level and that's what ends up creating change it's not just change on one fixture it's change on every single level and i think i think there is a i think this is a battle of battle of the already versus not yet so let me just say, I don't think it's a salvation a dispute. I don't think it's a salvation issue um, because I know for a fact, Jesus says that in, in heaven, the way we're going to function is not going to be predicated based off of gender. I think that for complementarians in some, in some ways, um, they are a little bit more on the not yet. Um, and I think that in some ways, those who are mutualists function a little bit more on the already. And so there's a, there's a spectrum between already and not yet. And I think some people feel really nervous about saying, okay, now it's time to reach for that, that, that heaven like, um, 
partnership. And I think some people are saying, mm, no, we need to be reaching back to Genesis because that's still the template. It's a heavy template and it will be a heavy template and it will structure the church for a long time. And, and so we are moving toward, but in the mind of God, you know, God, you know, eternity. I don't, is, I don't is, follow know. why you said reaching back to Genesis, but could I, could I interject something here? Yeah. What I hear you, you probably talk to more people than I do. I, I, I talk to quite a few people. But you, you're all over the all over the place. What what I think is happening is a good thing. I think, in this dispute, that at least what's happened for churches to be complementarian or soft complementarian, I've seen in a lot of those congregations Easter services. Very, they're having women preach. Uh, women are doing lessons. Women are doing more. And I, and I think that if 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 I get to talk as a sympathetic grandpa of the ICOC, a lot of the members just need exposure to what we've been doing for 10 years to take the boogeyman out of it. And I think the more people hear women preach, there's going to always be some folks that feel like it's false doctrine. And I have nothing but respect to people that, I mean, you can't do something if you don't do it by faith. And if someone feels like, no, 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 this isn't pleasing God, this is false doctrine, then uh, there's some people that are never going to agree. But I believe the vast majority of people are, are going to agree. And maybe maybe you want to talk off the record a little bit more about that. But Yeah, we need to. Yeah. We need to. Well, let's, it, before we get going, I just want to thank those of you who have hung around with us for this extended conversation. Typically, I cut videos off and all that. This is a little bit more of a major um, prime time, time site type of topic. And so thank you for those of you. Um, we are, we are about to get brutally honest and real and very respectfully, uh, in the next interview with off the record. If you are interested in that, if you're a Patreon member, all you have to do is head over and, uh, we'll see you in off the record. 